Hey guys, quick disclaimer. I realize we, we're just going to jump straight into this episode like it's any other Maiden track, uh, while it's not. It's uh, I Live My Way, and I'm going to just clarify that's a B-side. They did three original B-sides during the X-Factor sessions, and that's one of them. So, you know, in fashion of Burning Ambition and Later to Come, Sanctuary, Twilight Zone, we decided to do it. Don't ask me to play to a click for more than four bars. <laughs> Chop. Maiden A to Z, innit? Alright, hello and welcome to Maiden A to Z. My name is Eric and with me as always is my co-host Jonathan. Yep, and go ahead and introduce the rest too. Yeah, we've got a full boat this morning. We have, from Buffalo, we have Greg, who is making a triumphant return. Yes, good morning yes. lads, thank you for having me. We also have Mr. Ben Webster. G'day gentlemen, thanks for having me, it's great to be back. And Mr. Henry Kiewonson. Good morning. Good morning. Famous from last week. Famous from last week, or whatever that is. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, we got three songs in the in the hopper today. More like two and a quarter. We could say, we could argue two and a quarter. I don't want to get ahead of myself here, but I was uh, worried initially, like, oh fuck, what's going to happen if that go- ends up on list because of it's not on Spotify? Like, no, that's not going to be a problem. <laughs> no. <It's fine>. <laughs> <laughs> no. No. I mean, I can I paraphrase Greg here. I think he said something like, "I'm not going to have too much to say about the song." It's total trash. The lyrics sound like they were written by a young teen. Oh, no, actually, I, I did, well, I, I did say it was trash. That is correct. And I actually said they sounded like they were written by my seven-year-old daughter if she was less smart. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Have you heard the song, Ben? Yeah, I'll listen, I've listened to it a couple of times. Yeah. Unfortunately. Uh, Re- reactions? Now, musically, I reckon there's something there, but it's really a case of it's the singer, not the song. He's not the singer for that song. It's all about the melody, and yep. it's the it's the notes he picks over the chords. That's that's I can break like I can really worked out that that's what is compelling or not compelling about music to me. Yeah, especially vocal music. It's the tension between what the singer's singing and the chords underneath, and he's really just singing a lot of you know very uh, root fifth. He's just following the chords. Yeah. There's no tension. Steve is probably telling him, oh, something like this. Do, 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 do. And then he's doing that, you know, without coming in with his own. Yeah. Steve yeah. wrote the melodies to Rhyme of the Ancient Mariner. <laughs> like, he did. Yeah. But then yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, you know, Bruce square, Kenny and square and he, that. But it's, I mean. Yeah. The, and but the, there are the, also a lot oh, of roots, right? Root fifth. A lot of thirds. The third is the key. Because that creates the tension, right? Yeah. Mm. And sixth. Yeah, and sixth. Yeah. 
and Bruce can hit those tension notes. He can hit the fifth above an E. You know, he can hit the, a, a strong B. He can hit a strong G. So he can sit on those, whereas Blaze is kind of – I didn't note choice it. Like, I didn't work it out on guitar and listen to it, but it's like he's really just singing, like, the E, you know, whatever it's in. He's singing the root and maybe – the third somewhere. Mm. It's it's really just and he but more so he's following the chords. When you listen yep. to the chords in the the chorus and everything, he's just following them and it's like, oh dude, come on. Yeah. And also like it's a clear thing, like some sort of proof of this song not being good that they included two others. The two others. They made three of these B sides. Two of them are on Best of the B-Sides, ready to listen to, even on Spotify these days. This yeah. one is not. <laughs> so there's a choice made at some point. Like, well, uh, the other two are pretty good, I feel. Yeah, and that's kind of my point. But like, yeah, but like yeah. Benson, that's not saying much. That's like stepping over a crack in the sidewalk and deciding, well, I'm going to try and be a high jumper in the Olympics now. <laughs> a little bit, yeah. But actually, those two songs have something that, you know, they are better than a bunch of songs on Virtual Eleven, for example. You know, if you compare it right. to something, you can compare it to, which is not Rhyme with Ancient Mariner. That's, that's, that's not going to work. <laughs> Henrik, let's hear your take on this gem. I think, I think, Ben, I think you're onto something about the writing of this song and the melodies, because... Uh, as you all know, it's Steve does the bass, the basis for the song, and then usually he has some kind of melody idea, and Blaze is not up for that, because he, he can't do that melody really, as you say, Bruce does it, but Blaze can't really, and he ends up following the chords, because he doesn't really know what he's going to do, because it's, yeah. a, it, I guess it might be an uncomfortable key or something for him, or something yeah. like that, I mean... Yep. And this is what happens, I mean, this is the first song, allegedly it's the first song they ever wrote, together oh, as well. well okay yeah so well that makes sense yeah where's torben ulrich when you need him <laughs> yeah, <right. laughs> delete, that, delete that for for me that doesn't cut it you know to be fair they deleted it even off a best of the b-sides mm. so maybe they had a little bit of the thorben in them right yeah eventually <laughs> delete that that's only because it was on the 12 inch vinyl and they hadn't didn't have a way to convert it from vinyl onto onto digital really no, yeah. I uh, you had me you had me for a second there. I forget. Are you serious? Too. Yeah, <laughs> that's, yeah. that's the no. reason. Like that was. I'll that, cut them some slack though. Like if this is the first <laughs> song they tried to screw together as yeah. a band, then it sounds like it sounds like that. Like, yeah. it yeah. sounds yeah, like why, a first attempt. But why did they record it? I mean, that's the weird thing. True. Why did they record it? Publishing. No, whoever wrote it, Steve and maybe Blaze, get paid for it. So mm. put it out there. They know that no one's really going <clears> to, <throat> as we'd say in Australia, c- cream their tweeds over it. But the, um, <laughs> but, but it's, it's still money, you know. It's like, yeah. you know, it's still money in that. Some people might not have ever heard this one, and they really need to hear this. They really need to hear how shitty this is. Well, the intro, you can tell that it's Iron Maiden anyway. Yes. Yeah. Our main post 92. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Not Adrian. I can tell you exactly where this song derails to. Exactly. Is it from the. Woo! Yep. Oh, God. Got it. Yeah. Henrik got it. Henrik nailed it. That's yeah. when it derails <laughs> the woo. Yeah. There's two of them in this song, by the way. Henrik, you nailed it. Sometimes I feel the anger. Sometimes I 
This bit's alright. If you change the lyrics and a lot of other stuff. <laughs> I disagree. It's mm, terrible. I disagree. <laughs> Already sick of the words. Yes. Mm. Gonna get worse than the verse. The, worst, the verse is gonna get worse. Yeah. Yeah, yeah he's, just, he's, he's following the chords. Like, yeah, he is. This chorus stinks. Yeah. Oof. It's the worst chorus they've ever made, I think. You, you walk into a pub with no one there, and there's a band playing in the corner that are influenced by Iron Maiden. Yeah. <laughs> That's what they sound like. If yeah. I ever walk into a bar and there's a band influenced by this particular song, that's what they Iron sound Man, like, though. I'm, I'm, I'm just due to maybe turn around and walk out that bar. <laughs> mm, pretty much. I, I do have notes on this song. Um, I, okay. I, I do have. Is I have it, one, is it right. your last got, toilet paper? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, I have, a, I have, a, I have a, a specimen. <laughs> I have it broke down into pros and cons. Um, oh, pros and cons. I like that. Yeah. Civilized. Yes, uh, pro. Uh, it's the B side of a very good song. Mm-hmm. Um, the solo section is pretty cool. The the the, the to to be fair, I mean, mm-hmm. we'll just say it's it's a ninety ten uh, uh, shit split. Um, <laughs> it's ninety percent terrible, but the ten percent where the riff and the solos in that section they're pretty cool because Yannick is fucking nasty. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> hey, this riff is alright. Serviceable. Take yep. it to the lead. David. David. And the Sea of Madness drums. It comes nasty, man. This is a good jam. Oh, yeah. 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 You wanna know why, Jonathan? Because he's fucking nasty. Nasty. <laughs> it's nasty. But that was nasty. a cool Janik solo. Short as old hell, but uh, oh, yeah. really, really good. Like, They're uh, the best ones. <laughs> he, got, he, got all, he, got, he got all the Janik tropes in there. Mm. Yep, yep. <laughs> um, so that's pretty cool. Um, the cons are um, this song is terrible. Um, uh-huh. the, the chorus is. Easily, not even just relative to Maiden or metal, um, just in music history that I've heard, some of the worst lyrics I've ever heard. Um, The phrasing, just total shit. Um, And Blaze's two woos did not not make it easier to to try and be nice or diplomatic on this one. I mean, that's just... I really wonder about that, if that was him. Like, if it was like Steve, Steve, like, said, do a woo, or he's like, afterwards... Steve, somewhere I felt it apropos to woo. <laughs> you know, actually, I, I you know I'm actually googling this right now. Um, it looks on the original version there was there was initially six woos and, well, uh, and, and Steve <laughs> Steve edited out the last four. Oh, I was gonna, I was going to say there were woos there because Steve didn't know how to erase stuff from the recording. <laughs> how, how fucking oh, hilarious oh, yeah. would that be if he mm. just didn't know how to work the recording technology and then that's how the woos ended in? Well, yeah. well, blimey, mate, it's on the take. Mm. Can't fucking get rid of it now. 
Blimey. What was the pros again? The pros were that it was the B-side of Man on the Edge. It, the B-side, it's a good song. It's, no, the B-side is it's the it's the B-side of a good song. Right, mm. and which is Man on the Edge, is it? Which is Man yeah. on the Edge. Mm. Yeah. And um, so at least it's rubbing up against something good, if it can't itself be good. It's like the oh, shitty yeah. friend. It's like your friend who's an asshole. Mm. It's like good adjacent. Yeah, everyone's got like that one friend who's kind of a dick, but they, ha- they hang around anyway because they got some redeeming qualities. But this is that song. Yeah. Um, yeah. It sucks, but it has other qualities because it brings good stuff with it, yeah. namely the A-side. There we um, go. And I think the, the solo section is cool. Yeah, but I, I agree with you, though, Greg, about one thing, because I had I had some notes as well, and it said redeeming quality, and that is Nico actually does the Sea of Madness drum pattern on the solo part. Okay. Well, Henrik, you're, you're certainly smarter than I am. I was too blinded by the uh, the the other stuff to even. Yeah, well, I was I was trying hard. I was trying hard. <laughs> no, I mean, there's definitely a concerted effort to find something redeeming about that. Mm. So, uh, so cheers to you. <laughs> you're blinded by the woos. Yeah, I would say for me, the woos definitely they they put me out of it even more, and I'm already not into it. So it's almost like I'm standing outside a party. I don't want to go in there. And then I hear someone go like, and I want to go in even less. <laughs> no, that, that, is, that is really yeah. true. I mean, okay. I never, oh, okay. I, I I'm definitely in... going back to the subway now. The subway is a party compared to this party. Well, maybe just like, oh, at least I get to go to bed early. I have a story to kind of piggyback in, uh, to dovetail into what you just said, Jonathan. One time, uh, about 15 or 16 years ago, I played a very poorly attended gig in Nashville, Tennessee. Um, and we... It was just a terrible attendance, and my singer on stage uh, said, well, at least 10 people came out to rock tonight. And at that moment, two people said, <laughs> fuck this, and walked out. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. I'm not even kidding. It was, it was almost like they were there watching us because they felt bad, and then when he said that, they are like, all right, I keep, we can't take this anymore, and then we're out. Literally, he said that, and then two people just split. Mm. <laughs> he, pulled out, he pulled out the man on the edge yeah. <laughs> from his backpack and said, I can wish you'd go listen to this B-side. Yeah, it's got to be better right. than this. <laughs> Bad call on his part, because the thing is, I believe this quite firmly, that you shouldn't have that much self-distance when you're on stage. I think you should. You shouldn't be that much of a human, because it doesn't work. People don't want to see that. They don't want to see anyone admitting right. to how horrible yeah, things are. Right. Yeah, they want to see fair. someone like uh, ten people are here, but I'm not gonna act like that. I'm no. just gonna. You, you act you know, like there's a thousand. Yeah, I've got know? a lot of. Yeah. I've got a lot of accolade for that for gigs I've done. That people yeah. come up afterwards and it's like this was half empty, but you guys went on like it was overpacked. Yeah, but, you know that's better. It's always better, even if oh, it's 100%. ten people. Hundred percent. I, th- I think you can find a sort of middle ground where you can sort of be somewhat aware of what you're doing <clears> and not, you know, not be. Um, in fact, fun story. Many years ago, when you played at Gulavillan. Uh, Jonathan, with your yep. man Barbus, do you recall what I said before you guys went up on stage? Oh, not at all. No, because I, I said to the, the people there, "Thank you both for coming." Uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but you were you were the host of the that's evening, witty, so you could be though. like yeah. a person, yeah. And then I went on people, as if it were a hundred, you know. I, yeah, but that's the way you do it. But still, you can sort of make you should. There's you know, a witty uh, way to do it. There's mm, definitely yeah, a witty or smarter. There's a witty and a mm. shitty way to do it. A witty and a <laughs> shitty. <laughs> but I have very good memories from that gig. I got uh, we got like two new fans that actually kept kept in contact with us afterwards. Mm-hmm. And I had never seen those guys before. That's a, that's, that's good. good you know. To respect, and in a situation like that, you do have an attempt, a chance to kind of uh, cement deeper closely held bonds with fans because then they feel like they have a part of it that's 
really yeah. kind of alien yeah. or not available to anyone else because it's like, well, yeah, well, I was fucking there when it was just me and one other person, you know? There's older dudes that, where I live in Buffalo. We Metallica played here on Ride the Lightning with Wasp and Armored Saint. That's really cool. It was a blizzard in Buffalo that night, and, and like everything shut down. And this is like 1985. So if you figure Metallica, Wasp, Armored Saint, there was like 45 people at, that mm. actually came out in the middle of a blizzard to see this. Can you imagine being one of 45 people that saw Metallica on the Ride the Lightning tour? I mean, that's, uh, that's cool. Holy shit! Right. <clears throat> It's really cool, and mm-hmm. they probably played as if it was four hundred fifty. Yeah, of course. And then they as soon did, as they yeah. were done, they just they just hung out at the bar with everyone, you know. Yeah. So like that's the stuff that really roots bands and, and bonds people to to bands. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But had they played "I Live My Way," that would have been a deal breaker anyway. It would have been like the end of The Shining, where they just run into the snow and they're trying to backtrack through. <laughs> yeah, them. everyone becomes a dollar boy, you know. <laughs> Being chased out by the shitty music. <laughs> Here's Blaze! <laughs> in, in the version, of just, it's just Jack typing the lyrics of the song. Here's Ari. <laughs> yeah. Holding them up, just holding them up. Or with he's got a megaphone. <laughs> I wrote a song, Wendy. No one even mentioned my biggest problem with the song, and it's that the dynamics are incredibly shit for Iron Maiden. Normally, even in their bad songs, they can actually handle dynamics. So the, 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 the chorus is going to stand out dynamically. It doesn't here. It's the same yeah. exact strength and volume as the verse, <sighs> and it makes, it makes the chorus dip. It makes it dip, and then with that line, those lyric lines that do sound like a seven-year-old wrote them, I live my way. Okay, what you say. Yeah, but I mean, doesn't it, isn't that the problem with the X Factor production overall, that it's, there's no dynamic in that sense? I mean, it, it's, it's very quiet in the very boring intros. Yeah. yeah, but it's very flat otherwise, yeah. Well, I don't know what the opposite of vibrant is, but it's that. I mean, Dull. it's just like, it's, it, yeah. there's, got, there's mm. nothing that pops out of it. Like the guitars, I mean, it's, it's you want to talk about just weak sounding guitars that just yeah. don't even just like, they, it's like they don't explode out of the speaker. It's not mm. like Maiden was ever like these ginomous heavy riff tone masters. They never really had like that, that like you could always no, think, but like, they were they rockers, never had, you know, they had a they rocking. Rockers, yeah. Yeah. They had, they had, they had intensity in guitars. They didn't have like Iomi tone or anything like that, but like they had intense guitars and this one is just like, ugh. I'm trying to yeah. think of like, you know what it is? They have like, I think Frank Zappa, once called Steve Vai's guitar tone said it sounded like a ham sandwich um, or, or something like that. And I feel like this is like, is, this is a shit sandwich. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Chalk. <laughs> like, Chalk sandwich. Mm. Like to me, to me, ham is, ham is like the water of meats. Oh, so okay. I, so you I, mean that wet ham, that kind of sloppy. No, I don't ham. even know. It's like ham is just like, it's ham. It's just like, it's yeah, not yeah. like, it's a spam sandwich. Bam. It's not like salami. I'm just going to list off a whole bunch of Italian meats right now that are spicy and are explosive with flavor. But ham is just kind of like mm. just there. And like this guitar tone on the X Factor, like Henrik said, it's it's like dead. It's yeah. flat. And it doesn't. I feel bad for Blaze. You know, the two albums he's on are by far the worst produced full length yeah. albums yeah. by this band. And it's the only two albums he's on. I listened to uh, Massive Noise Injection the other day. It was a tip from Henrik and. Uh, from our Scottish buddy, Glasgowian buddy, David. Well, Spain? Yeah. Mm. And it sounds great. It's a live mm. record from 1990. 
So it's an early live record, you could say, I mean, in terms of metal anyway. And it sounds mm. fucking killer. It's a three-piece three backing band, bass, guitar, drums. They were on Rick Rubin's label, right? They were Rick Rubin yeah. signing, right? Mm. Def, they were on Def Jam. Sounds crazy. Absolutely massive, you know, as the title suggests. Mm, no. It was really, really cool. And Blaze sounds good. He, he finds cool melodies. And his way of melod- melodizing is way different yeah. to Harry's, I think. Yeah. yeah. In, that, in that opening track, uh, uh, Protect and Survive, he goes for like, Closer each day that works better for him than I can in that kind of staccato. <laughs> yeah, no. he, he has a different, I, I feel bad like, for Blaze because I feel like, cause I, I, I had my introduction to him was Iron Maiden. And I don't know if, cause after Maiden, after I was like, well, let's, let's find out where this dude was. And then I checked out Wolfsbane and I don't know if like his Maiden voice impacted the way I, I viewed Wolfsbane. Because I never really got too much in the Wolfsbane, and I don't same, know if it same. was because Maiden kind of ruined Blaze mm-hmm. for me, you know, which would be a shame. And I'm old enough now to really not maybe have that kind of uh, be yeah. that hypersensitive to something like that. So maybe I got to go back and, and revisit, especially that live record, just because I love yeah. that title. Mm-hmm. But like, uh, I don't know, like I just I could never get in the Wolfsbane, and I and I'm starting to think that it's probably just because I didn't like Maiden Blaze, you know. Yeah. I mean, if you listen to his, I, I'm a big fan of his. Not, not all, some, a lot of his solo stuff is really great. I figure, and his he sounds voice, a lot better. His voice there. sounds a lot better on his solo stuff because he, he's he knows he knows he knows what he should be doing with it rather than being told you know fucking follow the the chord thingy. But, I, but I feel like that's a that's a that's a knock on Harris from a production mm-hmm. standpoint because I feel like if especially not so much if you're in a band that has like brutal vocals, obviously it's different for like death metal or whatever, Mm -hmm. but like if you're in a band that has clean vocals, you do, I think have to serve the song by serving the singer. Like if you look at, like if you like black Sabbath is a great example, like Iomi was great at catering to his vocalist and he, he wrote for the singer he had and not the singer he wanted and mm. that is true actually i'm not saying that he you know he wanted a different singer but he was able to cater the sound of sabbath to the style of vocals that he had and i think yep, for yeah, yep. for harris to try and cram that square peg into a round hole i think that's that's kind of a, it's a that's a it's a production weakness on harris's part and i would never say that to his face He'd soccer kick me right in the dick and balls, <laughs> yeah. you know. Yeah. But like, I think also that's why a lot, a lot of the like the, the, the Blaze songs that do tend to work better on those records are the ones he had a hand in writing a lot of times because he kind of knows maybe more we should be doing his voice rather than just you know oh. you know there wasn't an environment probably where he probably felt he could say yeah this doesn't work I can't do yeah. this he probably just had to mm. go along with it and that's where you, then you get this E minor is the wrong key for his voice like yeah. he's a baritone really mm-hmm. D minor B minor like those right. that like that's it's like his voice will he can hit those tension chord those tension notes in those chords and it will sound great like it will sound mm. much better and much more comfortable for him and then just saying oh we can, these are the keys that we play and you have to sing over it's like you're not paying attention mm. as is exactly what Greg said like you're not listening to yeah. what the limit like the the you know, a man's got to know his limitations it's yeah. like these are the keys that suit suit his voice let's pick the same, you know, changes we always use and we'll just transpose them to B. It's BGA yeah. now, you yeah, know? The, the, yeah. the roadblock there, the gatekeeper, is Steve for sure, being stubborn. Yeah, pig-headed, man. I always thought that Iomi singers are so good at adapting to his riffs, 
But now you're actually turning that around and I'm realizing that maybe Ayomi is actually pretty good at adapting his riffs to the singer. Mm. Listen to the change between technical ecstasy and, and heaven and hell. Fucking heaven and hell. Yeah, Dio likes to sing on chords. Also, he could sing on the riffs. He could mimic the riff even to a point mm -hmm. of uh, foolery almost. But it was still pretty cool. I think that says more about the singers he chose than 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 it does him. I think Iommi deserves all the credit for. By he, I mean, he set it up for his singers to be successful, and they all sounded yeah. cool. I, I think looking back, I mean, it's easy to say this now in hindsight. Hindsight is always twenty twenty. But um, looking back, it's still a bit fuzzy. <laughs> <laughs> I think that really the only way they could have made Blaze work successfully, and I don't even know if it would have been successful because I think it was so late into their career that maybe this would have, I don't know, who's to say? It's always easy to look back, but I think that the only way they could have, I guess for me, maybe personally, uh, to have made Blaze work correctly is they would have had to have done like a Sabbath style change. They would have had to have just completely turned yeah. their sound around and not and not just not do a total reset, but almost like a semi reset and be like, well, this is the singer we have now. Mm. We need to make this work for him and not just try and well exit this guy. Let's just plug this guy right back in the same position, which you can't do yeah. that from yeah. both a, yeah. a musicality perspective or a personality perspective. Yeah, you know, it really, you can't just do that. You know, two different singers, two different personalities. They would have had to have just kind of do a semi reset and, and figure out a way to make the band work with whatever strengths they have that are co uh, correlative to Blaze's strengths and find that meeting point and then just kind of build around that. Like which again, which is what I feel like Sabbath did with Dio and and subsequent singers after him. You know, mm. so I will say there were double standards at hand, double standards because Harris at first, no, I'm not going to take the guy from Green Reaper. I'm not going to use this guy. I'm not going to use any Bruce copy. But mm -hmm. then he's using a copy of himself. So if you're not yeah. gonna, if you don't mm -hmm. want a copy of your singer, don't be a copy of yourself. Exactly. Yeah. Like I, I know, I know it turned out to be nothing. I mean, years later, it turned out to be nothing but a rumor. But I remember up until recently hearing that Michael Kiska from Halloween was uh, one of the considerations. Uh, for Tate as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. For but they both for not, Bruce. Not, not British. So that was yes. like a reason. To... Yes, but Kiska has debunked that since then. So mm, that's okay. fine. But okay. like, I, I really think that anyone I ever heard that could have been a replacement for Bruce for what Steve Harris wanted to really just do, which was just continue to do Iron Maiden stuff. I mean, he picked the worst guy, you know, if they would have got Jeff Tate, they would have got Michael Kiska. He could have had, he could have had whatever he wanted to continue on because he had singers that had the range and to a degree, a, a personality blaze is just, I mean, he's darker, he's heavier. I mean, uh, if there was ever a time for them to maybe take it down a half step or a whole step. He's like a character singer in a way. Like he's, 
he has that sort of yep. yeah, character yeah. singer, yeah. very emotional yeah. singer, very emotional, mm. a lot of emotion, and it doesn't maybe come through. But I was gonna say, like, a reply to your criticism, Greg, from Steve himself would be, "I live my way." I yeah, don't care I what you say. <laughs> I know. I yeah. mean, the, the, I think the the irony is is so strong right now of us criticizing this song, which is basically. Steve Harris answering back to our criticism yep. yeah. <laughs> like, you know, through Blaze so, uh, Bill. I mean, the irony of this is great. We're just cutting the shit out of this song, and Steve Harris is just there waiting to respond through Blaze. Well, I don't care. Fuck you. I live my way. Another pro is that it finishes. <laughs> no, I, I, I was re- reading lyrics here, which I, I admittedly have not done before now, and I had not realized that uh, uh, it uh, contains the, the 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 line "I I feel like I've been a tool," which is delightful. Anyway, let's move on. <laughs> okay, you like I've been a tool? No, no, I didn't like it. I thought it sounded ridiculous. I was like, yeah, fine. <laughs> yes, I don't know why they released it. It's a really good point because I don't know of any recorded Iron Maiden song that hasn't been released. Mm-hmm. So maybe they don't know how to maybe release record a song and then not release right. it, and that's why it ends up as a B side. But you know what? That's almost that, that's almost childlike in a way, which is oh god, I can't even believe I'm I'm saying it's endearing. It's almost childlike. It's like you, when you record your first demo, you, and the first time you're in a, a studio and you're like, oh my god, this is fucking awesome, and then you listen to it back two years later and you're like. Ugh. Yeah, what I what I would I would say about this song is, I mean, in its defense, it doesn't seem like it's done. So maybe if they sort of it sounds unfinished, yeah. A few demo-y, like yeah, definitely demo for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think I think the fact that we've gotten to the in its defense portion of the conversation means it's time to move on from this. It song. is time to move on. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you know, look. In the history of the entire known universe, I can't imagine anyone's <laughs> spent thirty-one minutes talking about this song. But across across three continents, yeah, yeah. yeah. epic, yeah. yeah. Let us convene the three years <laughs> to discuss the song. Maiden A to Z, innit? This is a song also for the Killers album. This is one all about somebody who's been wrongly accused of doing something. This is a song called Innocent Exile! We're leaving Yannick for a while. We're mm-hmm. leaving Nico for a while. Mm-hmm. We're leaving Blaze for a while. Uh, with us in the song we're going into, we have only Dave and we have only Steve. Mm-hmm. The rest of the band that we just listened to are not there. Mm-hmm. We're going back to 81, to a song that's uh, been one of my biggest growers. And it even didn't even start yes! that low. Yeah. It didn't even yeah. start that low. I always liked it, but it's become... One of my possibly one of my favorite Iron Maiden tunes. Mm-hmm. Definitely, me too. Yeah. I also gonna, I'm going to mention I'm going to have something to mention about this song, which I, it's probably something that's common knowledge, but for some reason I've never talked about it. So, believe it or not, I'm going to probably say something that might sound dumb at some point in this next 20 minutes or whatever. 
So just bear with me. I have an interesting take to, to, to talk about this. Man, well, maybe it's mm-hmm. not interesting. It's, actually, no, I take that back. It's not interesting. But I mean, it don't, is, don't oversell no, it. But yeah. yes. <laughs> <laughs> it's interesting because uh, this this has always been uh, like for me a lot of these like a lot of um, songs will kind of go through periods where I uh, you know maybe I, I really like it for a while and then I sort of maybe sort of drift away from it. What really brought me back to this song recently was on when we did our one-year uh, anniversary party, uh, Henrik and a friend of his, Omni, who we've mentioned before, you guys did a pretty cool cover of this. Yeah, well, and it was totally inspiration, and it just happened. Yeah. In a, ve- it in a very non metal way. <laughs> yeah. So uh, hopefully that'll be released at some point, because that was really cool. Yeah, we're working yeah, on I it. I would say for me as well, Henrik was a bit of an ambassador, uh, calling back to another episode, uh, Drums of the Beast, part two. Uh, Henrik played that beat, and I, I, I had just recently in that same session said that I love the drums in Maiden, but uh, sometimes it's not so much beats or grooves. And I, I referenced hip-hop, uh, in particular I referenced Lord, Lord Finesse, like an old-school East Coast fella. And then he played uh, Innocent Exile, and I've managed to splice it together with uh, Hip to the Game by Lord Finesse, with just a tiny little bit of uh, rhythm, uh, tempo adjustment. So this song has that kind of hip-hop drums that I, I tend to like. Oh, yeah. That should be enough. Yeah, straight out of uh, East End. <laughs> yeah. Straight out of East End. <laughs> and and uh, there's also a reason I want, didn't want to do the intro thing there, because it's really weird. I mean, he only does these hits. Yeah, uh, Henrik, are you, you, are you not playing, you're not playing in the tribute band, are you? Nope. But he's in the band unofficially. He's yeah. in the chat, <laughs> yeah. seeing everything yeah, we do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm sure that's delightful. <laughs> that dude in the... He's fucking unreal. Okay, Henrik, uh, are we going back topic or you have something? I'm always topic? going back topic because I love topic. Right. No, but the, th- the thing right. is, uh, <laughs> you said uh, when we went into this song that it was a grower for you. And it's exactly the yeah. same for me because when I got the Killers album, this was the last song that sort of became a favorite of mine. And now I think it's the most enduring favorite of that album, really. It's, I don't know, yeah. it's, it is a bit different. I mean, I never thought about that drumbeat thing until you mentioned it. And it's... I mean, I can't think yeah, of and any... I never thought of it until you played it. Yeah, <laughs> and I can't think of other songs, Maiden songs, that have that kind of groove, really. Mm. Ah. Yep. Which is weird it's because... It's swingy. In... Yeah. It's got sass. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Groove is the word, or sass, or what did you say, Ben? It swings. Like, real swing to it. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah, yeah. he's doing that high... Clive was such a monster. I mean, man. It, what awesome, a... man. He's fucking awesome. You think of Clive... As, a, as this steady guy, this powerful steady guy, but nah. he's actually quite a swinging drummer, I've realized. He does have, he is, yeah. yeah. I think he's trying too hard to be the powerful drummer at times because he has a yeah. lot more swing in him, really. That, that's when he shines the most when he does get to do that bit. And I was thinking yeah. on the way here, because you, you, me, you and me, Henrik, we've talked multiple times about how this is a song that'd be fun to hear, to hear live yeah. at some point. 
uh, properly. But I, I don't know it's gonna if it's gonna sound as good with with Bruce because it doesn't seem like a kind of thing he would normally. It doesn't seem like voice wise it work very well for him. I mean, I'm sure he could do it, but also I don't know how it's gonna sound Nico doing the drums instead because it has such a swing to it that he doesn't really do it very well. I just realized if Nico would do the drums, it would actually work. I think because I mean the song we're coming mm-hmm. to is sort of in the same area, tempo-wise, in the intro bits. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right, yeah. So he can do it, I'm sure about that. <coughs> but as you say, I'm not sure how Bruce would sound. I mean, I would say I don't, I don't agree with you, Eric, that he doesn't swing. He swings differently. Uh, it's a different yeah. type of swing. Mm-hmm. Actually, I think he's very swingy, uh, jazzy-style drummer in a way. But I think yeah, the but thing I mean, is, I think yeah. you're right, because I think Nico came in with a character that he already developed and that mm-hmm. he just mm-hmm. did and did very confidently. And Steve couldn't say shit, basically. He just had to yeah. play with him, which mm. worked. Yeah. But Clive, on the other hand, he, he sort of was still growing as a drummer with the band. So I think he maybe mm. listened too much to the to Harris, basically. Yeah. Yeah. Just like Lazy yeah. Little did. Mm. You know. and, and to piggyback on what you were saying, Henrik, about the, the Bruce thing, I think, yeah, like... Like it's been said, he could he sing it? Yeah, of course you could sing it. I could sing "Still of the Night" by White Snake and hit all the notes, but it won't fucking sound good. You know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> yeah. like, like I think he would, he would, he could do it. But there's Diano has that vibe, and he, and there's this kind of swinging, yeah. swaggery Swagger. vibe. Like, yeah. it, like it would go. Like he has. Like I mean, it's been said to death a thousand times. You know, Paul Diano, he's like the street urchin guy. Like he's just like he's got that Thing attitude. Is, he really is though. It's not even yeah, like a cliche like, or something made up. No, he really not, is that dude. He really yeah. is. And I feel like if if it Bruce Bruce took it over, it would be like show toony. You know what I'm saying? Like to a right. degree. Like it would be he's more too stagey. It would become over dramatic maybe to a degree. Whereas Diano he's like, yeah, fuck yeah, I got a switchblade. Yeah. He, he doesn't <laughs> over dramatize the old songs. Not really, but you can hear no. that he misses doing that style. Yeah. You know, so yeah. he's like just, just kind of barking it out and just, you know, mm-hmm. civil servant, which is something he hates, but he's doing right. that in, in those songs. Right. You know? And mm-hmm. uh, I would say this, we talked last week, Henrik, about, um, or actually this week we talked about it, but it was about I've Got the Fire, the Montrose cover. Yeah. And they've done it with both singers. And uh, we sort of agreed that it was way cooler with Paul. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It comes back to this. I think it would have been a similar type difference with uh, Dickinson on Innocent Exile. It would have done it good, but it wouldn't have sounded as cool. You know? Yeah, and I just realized that I have done my research very poorly because Bruce did actually sing. I mean, he did play. They did play Innocent Exile at least on the tail end of the Killers tour when Bruce yeah. did in Italy. And I can't. I can't recall how yeah. it sounded. I. I mean, I should have listened. I'm sure there's, there's got to be footage out there somewhere, yeah, a they, tape or something's yeah. got to be on the internet. Yeah. I just haven't. I just haven't refreshed my memory if I ever have heard it. So. Yeah, if you can even have a look and we can have a quick listen, but even if you want to get cracking on the song, yeah. fuck, what a tune. I'm picturing, I'm hearing it in my head. I'm like, Mama, it's so empty, nothing to get from. Yeah. That's not too bad, actually. Okay, okay, bootleg for early yeah. So which one is this? Is it Rome or is it... It says Rome, yeah. yeah. I mean, that's, that's Bruce, you know? Yeah. 
but it's good though. Yeah. yeah. This riff is so cool. Yeah. That that's the thing. I think I feel like Paul in in that era. I feel like he did a lot of working up uh, tonally, and I feel like Bruce he would kind of work down. Yeah. And, you know, like yeah. <laughs> so. I think that you know some people come in. I mean, some people come in under. Yep. And, and and go up. Some people come in over, go down, and then you got people like Klaus Mine who just come in right on. Yeah. You know, like yeah, <laughs> yeah like uh, we did yeah. with our uh, our singer in um, Sara in, in Infinite Maiden. She has a naturally extremely high voice. When she speaks, right. she speaks about this pitch when she's speaking. Mm. So <laughs> like some of the verses were actually too low for her to do. Instead. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Whereas uh, Ace is high, no problem mm. at all. I believe it. I think that's probably what that's probably the the Bruce the Bruce conundrum with coming in on the Diano stuff. He's coming in over top of it, mm, you know. Yeah, yeah. But it's not it's not bad, and it's cool. And I mean, that's why you love Bruce Dickinson. But it's not the same vibe. No. Actually, Bruce now with his like his like lower tone, he could it'd be more interesting to hear him sing something like this now. That's slightly. Oh, yeah, he's got a full yeah. he's got a fuller tone now than he had. That's true, but, he, but he's also still trying to come in on top of notes, and I don't think he can mm. anymore. He still tries to to be that Bruce, which is great; it's commendable. But I still think he he dances too high to the mm. the, the peak of his range, and it's it doesn't doesn't work. You know, back then, he obviously he had the he oh, had man. the ability, he had that that leeway, he had that extra rope. Be like, well, I mean, I don't have to come in here, but I can, and it'll yeah, sound yeah. cool. You know, and we'll just worry about working our way down when I have to. But now he's, I think he still has that mindset or that mentality, but I just don't think he has the, the rope to do it anymore. You know, I wish he wouldn't, you know, but he still, he still rules. You know? mm. If Bruce Dickinson wanted to join a band with me tomorrow, I'd be like, you'd see a vapor trail in my chair spinning around. <laughs> you know? Yeah, most likely, most likely. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I was going to say also about the singing. Um, huh? This is the one time, I think, the only one time, correct me if I'm wrong, that you can hear... Paul Diano working with Martin Birch. Yeah. Should be right. Yeah. yeah and I think, I think his so. voice sounds so good on this album. I think this is where very where his voice peaked on on, on album. And mm, I would yeah. have loved to hear him work with great producers more because yeah. he brings stuff out of him, you know, even high mm-hmm. notes like uh, Twilight Zone, can't you see me? Mm. Yeah. Stuff that he maybe wouldn't have done on on the first album yeah. where they basically didn't have a producer. Yeah. So Whole record was a grower. Mm. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's it's just everyone sounds pretty much on top. Uh, we talked about that last week in Ides of March. Adrian comes in with his first solo ever in the band after like ten seconds in the band on record, mm-hmm. <laughs> which is cool in yeah. itself. And he sounds as good as he does today. So yeah. it seems like yeah. Martin really had a grasp of 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 just you know hitting that par level and then getting up to birdie level. Mm. Well, he's the first ever heavy metal producer, you know, I mean, he did Rainbow and Sabbath and, you know, all those classic bands, Mm. Deep Purple, he did Machine Head and In Rock, I think, by Deep Purple, too. Like, he was the first ever heavy metal producer. Mm. He did Mob Rules and Heaven and Hell. I mean, he was the ideal producer for Iron Maiden at that time. Yeah, so much so. So Very much so. He was he was the shit. He was awesome. So many of his records are great, you know. Yeah, and we have Blue Oyster Cult as well, Fire of Unknown Origin, which sounds oh, that's absolutely right. great. It sounds oh. so good. Yeah, yeah. Can't stop praising Birch. Not oh. really. Hell yeah. That record rules for sure. Yeah. He did that in 81, together with Killers. That's together right. Together with Mob Rules. Three albums. Yeah. Three legendary albums <laughs> in one year. Yeah. Can you do a Martin Birch episode under M? We should. We <laughs> should. Yeah, we got to do that. Yeah. Yeah. And even if we go through some of his other other stuff and talk about 
commonalities. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It, that's that's definitely a great idea. This was actually something I just, for whatever reason, I mean, I've sang along in my head this song like a thousand times, but, I, and this is where I, I kind of warned earlier, like, this might sound like, what, are you fucking kidding me? You just realize this now? But like last night I realized, is this Sanctuary Part 2? Sanctuary Part 2? Because, be. because uh, there's another woman killed in this one. Oh, yeah. yeah but, the but remote, all the early songs are about being out there killing and exposing yourself to women. Mm. <laughs> yeah, but he's but he's on the run again. Oh Lord, I'm running. Yeah. <laughs> Is this the akin to 22 Acacia Avenue to Charlotte the Harlot? Is this the uh, sanctuary version of that? This the part two. That's like uh, no way it could be. Uh, I was going to say about the structure of the lyrics. A lot of these old songs have the same verse over and over. I'm thinking another life. I'm thinking Iron Maiden. Yeah, Iron Maiden <laughs> actually the same verse three times, which is very. Eccentric. Yeah, yeah, in this song, you have uh, two verses. So one yeah. repeats, and then there's a last one. Mm. That is, so it's like A, A, B yeah. structured. And that was. And mm. it's a total of 12 rows of lyrics, I think. Mm. Or no, actually, yeah, 12. And, and that was the point I was going to make that it, it has these repeated lyrics, just like, I mean, killer stuff does have that. You said another life, it is an exile. Drifter, I think, repeats the verse as well. Yep, yep. Uh, I don't know about. Pur- yeah, Purgatory does too. And I think this is. Sort of like because they didn't, they used up all the exciting material in their mind on the first album, and they had to revert to older stuff for Killers. Yeah. So they sort of had songs they had to re bring back to life. Innocent Exile is one of them. It's one of Steve's absolutely earliest songs, based on the uh, Smile and en- en- Endless Pit from yeah even mm-hmm. even earlier from from the influence or Gypsy's Kiss or whatever when okay, whenever it was. That band, yeah. yeah. I wonder who really wrote it. Yeah, well, could, you could ask, but I think he brought in the bass line to <laughs> one of the bands, and they felt it was too hard to play this. It was too, like, uh, out there rhythmically. Yeah, but I'm, I mean, <laughs> some people from Gypsy's Kiss have actually recorded Gypsy's Kiss material. So there is a version by Gypsy's Kiss of Endless Pit, and you can tell by that one that it really, it's very easy to hear that it's, a, it's an early song by a very young songwriter. In a way right. that I can't really hear. In uh, I've never thought about it in Innocent Exile, but when you listen yeah. to Endless Pit, it's a lot more childish in a way, and it's, it's different lyrics and all that. So I don't know how true it is to the original version, but.
But I think it's an interesting thing because this is, as we mentioned, the song that's really grown on me because I think it has some kind of mm. energy that's really fresh. I agree with you 100%. I think a lot of it has to do with the drums. Yeah. It's got it's got like a it's got like a street beat like you can like mm. and and that 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 riff is more bluesy that's a that's a riff that they don't play like that's not yeah. your standard yeah. diatonic minor and also you know? to, speaking of birds it's quite the purpose yeah <laughs> <laughs> it did it, it did this on purpleus <laughs> we had that that little bit of a funky vibe in the Glenn Hughes era too. Yeah, but I would say I, I realize now too. You're talking about the drums. We are talking about the drums. Yeah. I realize the voice is rhythmically very nicely matched yeah. to the drums. Mm. Ben mm-hmm. Ben often talks about this in terms of pitch, how things are matched uh, harmonically. But uh, I think a lot about that too. I'm well, I'm as much into that shit. But I'm also very into mm. rhythmic matching. Yeah, and you know, having the that drum beat and that uh, the riff, and then th- that vocal, which is also a riff. Da 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 da. It's, it's, it's great. I would write Sanctuary Management a check for $1,000 right now, American, if they could guarantee me in writing contractually that there would be one song like this on every Iron Maiden album from now until they're done. Mm. I would fucking <laughs> love for them to have a song that hits this hard and has this kind of swagger and it's yep, less yeah. than four minutes and there's, yep. there's, there's a thousand dollars US buy you a time machine back to 1980. Yes, I mean, yeah. Well, I mean, <laughs> we're talking, we're talking Greg Di Pasquale budget here, not not constraint. <laughs> so, I mean, yep. And even that's stretching it, but that's just how bad I want the, a song like you need this. Doc, yeah. You need a thousand dollars and Doc Brown. Right, that's yep. true. I would, I just, I just, I, I, I hear songs like this, and especially since Killers was an album, Killers was an album that was part of the chocolate milk trade. Um, you know, right. like it was, it, oh, didn't, right. yeah, it, it didn't hit me for a few years. It was just not an immediate, it was not an immediate banger. Like the, like Same. the, like the debut was it, there's a little more nuance. There's songs like prodigal son, which mm, is right. low key, maybe a top five maiden song for me. I fucking love that. Song. Yeah, wow. yeah, absolutely. Love that. Very song. Good, man. And that's really, I, I feel like this album was the, which a, a lot of bands have, they have a couple records once they get in where they're still trying to like figure out the formula. Mm, and so yep. they have songs that they inevitably do at the very beginning that they, in large part, never do ever again. And I've been in bands that have been around long enough to where we had stuff that we did at the very beginning that we had kind of filtered out once we found our song, sound mm, and never did yep. again. So, I mean, they, they follow. It's cool to hear them on that journey because once they get to say peace of mind, they, they kind of they're have, in. They kind of have they're the, their yeah. thing, yeah. their thing, you know? Yeah. And so like yeah. Killers and much like Innocent Exile, which was a grower for me too, wasn't a song that I hated, but it was also wasn't a song. Like I feel like Innocent Exile might be the perfect 
crystallization of of this album just as like a whole picture and the fact that like it's it's just like even like the ba-boom, ba-boom, ba-ba-boom, ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-
to be on the same album, I mean, you listen to a song like Genghis Khan, you, you can't even picture Doug Sampson playing that. It probably nope. would have been like 100 BPM slower. Mm. You know, probably would have been just straight up, like in the... It probably would be like... Yeah, and I said in his defense, Clive already had something to approve upon. That's true, yeah. When he came in. Doug came in sort of at ground zero. As you said, he wasn't the first drummer, but he didn't have that much of a reference of what he could do better. Well, mm. he gets credit yeah. for providing the template for, for Clive to kind of build on, you know, stack on upon it. So he, yeah. Uh, yeah. And not, Clive loved uh, Cosy Powell, which is not a bad thing. That's a good reference to come yeah, in with. Yeah, and he yeah. comes in with him and on this album, even with the same producer. Mm. Oh, wow. Can't even talk about, I can't even, can't even express how fucking awesome Cozy Powell was. Awesome. I love that guy. Fucking love awesome. Those drums. Awesome. It sounds like his bass drum doesn't, it sounds the, the opposite of George Collier's in Nile. George Collier's in Nile <laughs> sounds like the, 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 the beaters are this close to the, yeah. To the skin, and then it's triggered. Yeah. The Cozy Powell sounds like he's wearing some kind of marching boots, and he's kicking all the way up to his shin. He's got his his beaters are Thor's hammer. Yeah, exactly. And they're going like <laughs> full yes, on. Exactly. Like, yeah. Yeah. The huge sound of his kickback. Yeah. Mm-hmm. To conclude the lyrics here, I was going to say that uh, of course they have this uh, classic message that is in the old songs. It's sort of three parts in it. Mm-hmm. One is that he's suicidal. Another part is that he's on the run from the law. <laughs> That's and right. the third part is that he's he's done something concerning women, which might not be applaudable. Right. The word might is so concerning there. <laughs> <laughs> Leaving there being a possibility that it might be applaudable. But it might not be. Isn't Paul, Paul's introduction to the song on the Made in Japan EP, isn't that something in the, in the style of, this is a song about somebody who's wrongly accused of doing something? Yeah, yeah, that's right. <laughs> so these songs about these running from the law killer guys... Are they portraits or are they kind of him imagining himself, had he not had Maiden or something, being lost in being, I mean, he would probably wouldn't kill women, I don't think, but uh, could he imagine being this kind of, my life is so empty or in another life, you know, he's also that, that kind of suicidal, Steve, is that part of him, his worrying about failing or is it completely a character portrait? Because they were written in the 70s, I, so they I, could I be part I just think of- it's, it, it's just the, it's the writing of a, of a young guy that, Loves horror films yeah. and he's obviously yeah. into his uh, fantasy sort of elements and he's always talking about nightmares and dreams that he's had. Yep, so yep. everything is kind of the darker side of the psyche. Mm, strangers. Like that's what fascinates him. Yeah, it's just like that's just yeah. him writing stuff. But it's that cool he how it's cool. The, the, the yeah. fantasy here is so much like set in the scene of Eastern London. Yes. Yeah. That's where he grew up. It could really be Eastern London, which is cool because I believe that bands, when they start out, they should have a local flavor, you know, mm. because that's where you're going to play. You're going to play locally, so yeah. they should have that. 
And I think it's really cool that he's not doing a clairvoyant here, or he's not doing a, you know, what could it be, a rhyme of the English mm. He's actually doing something that seems it could be right around the corner from the club they're playing, but, you know, amped up dramatically, of course. Mm. I look at lyrics like mm. that from really three perspectives, or three possible perspectives. One, it could be based on reality, things he's seen, you know, in the news or whatever. Two, could be just fantastical, just like, because if you think about it, I mean, at that point in time, you know, and especially in the, the scope of metal, there really wasn't a whole lot of just openly saying, you know, stuff like they say I killed a woman. I know it isn't true or I never killed a woman before, but I know how it feels yeah. like mm-hmm. stuff like that. I imagine at the time was pretty taboo or I the third, the third perspective, it's something much darker, uh, really just uh, kind of suppressed the. Uh, uh, violent uh, emotions, you know. Mm. So I mean, it's really it could be one of three things that I always thought. I'm more inclined to think it's maybe something cult from the news or something just uh, fantastical, you know, based on like horror movies, like Ben said, or something like that. You mm. know, I would hope Steve Harris isn't a secret lady killer. Imagine that. Imagine that happens. That leaks out, so we can sort of reboot this podcast as a true crime <laughs> podcast. <Detail. laughs> oh shit! <laughs> no, on, on, on one of those broads, the Sun in England, Steve Harris yeah. is a secret lady killer. <laughs> Steve Harris colon has killed woman before. Knows how it feels. Yeah, <laughs> surely knows how it feels. Yes. Uh, also, quote his doctor said he's done it before. Yeah, the yeah. <laughs> <laughs> doctor. His doctor. That's great. Yeah. He's the doctor. Do, 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 do. So, uh, this is going way over the way over the edge. But we, you almost could ro- write the headline and then the article. Yeah. You could just peel off the lyrics in that article, and it'd be yeah. like a legit pay- front yeah. page. That's right. Yeah. Uh, you can include a bit from uh, uh, what's it called. Um, uh, I'll leave my way. Like, a quote, I, I feel like I've been a tool. I feel like I've been a tool. Yeah. And my doctor said I've done it before. Fun. There's that photo of Steve where he's going. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> he's like that. He's got well, like a bag on his back or something. Yeah. Well, That's the photo. Actually, I love, I love Henrik's transition to third Ooh. person. His doctor says he's done it before. Yes. <laughs> That's great. Yes. In, in a newspaper. <laughs> we know this because we talked to his doctor. Well, isn't that, one of their sing- isn't that like one of their single covers, like the Be Quicker, Be Dead cover, where there's like all those like the newspaper yeah. articles like spliced together? Yep. Mm-hmm. When Steve Harris comes out as a murderer of 35 women over the past 50 years, Ooh. then... <laughs> Yeah, blabbermouth gets a hold of this podcast. Oh my god! That's right. Ted Bundy always said, "If you had the cash, if you had lots of cash, you could get away with it." Uh, (laughs) Also, call back to Rick Rubin. If Rick Rubin produced Iron Maiden, he would say, "Write about killing women again." Mm. Oh my god! (laughs) Go back to your roots, guys. Let's let's keep let's keep that train on the tracks, there, Jonathan. I love that. Mm, what love a cool that. way the, the, to do an interlude, mm, right? In between the boogie riffs or what? The, uh, the, yeah. the little leady guitars they sprinkle over that part. Nah, nah, no, it's nah, really good. Kind of Vienna classic sound to that. Yes. With that drum. Like harpsichordy almost. Mm. Right. And, and to yeah. move from, from that boogie rocking thing into that is uh, 
maybe a little bit unheard of at the time. It could mm. be influenced by Blackmore, but uh, it's yeah. done in a different way. You know? And I think stuff like that mm-hmm. is why the album has become such a grower on me. I think because when I was so young, stuff like that just didn't register because I was like, same, you know, same. nine or ten, and I was trading tapes yeah. for chocolate milk and shit. You know, so I feel <laughs> like the older I got, the more and the more I learned about music, and I can assure you guys. I have learned more about music. I just don't know how to verbalize it, you know. Yeah. Or actually, you do, but you verbalize it in in your own way. Yeah. Yes. And I feel like with age, I've become to appreciate more stuff like those little layers they dropped in over the. Da, 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 da. I mean, the, the dynamics of that is just yeah. uh, structurally, compositionally, it's so powerful and strong, yes. you know. And that's Clive. Yeah, the way Clive does that—that mm-hmm. that syncopation, that's just like only he does it like that. Yeah, it just has that. He has so much power. You know? And the bends here also a cool flavor. Yeah, they tend to do them a lot on Killers, and mm-hmm. maybe something Martin liked at the time, adding that kind of bend hit. You know? mm-hmm. And it's already exciting. You know? Yeah, already exciting. I have mm. the, the open the nice I have. Yeah. It's, it's definitely a stoner van. Yeah, track. it's absolutely mm. fly. Mm. Clive was hotter than shit back then. Oh. That dude was just—he was a—he was a fireball. Yeah. Yeah, I realized that the the, the guitars we're talking about in that part, but the yeah. I mean, that might possibly be be something Adrian brought in. I mean, not brought in as in I have an idea, just that do yeah, something over it. Played, yeah. Yeah. Because he mentioned, he, men- yeah, he mm-hmm. mentioned in an interview not long ago that he actually wrote the uh, the middle bit for Twilight Zone and it has yep. that kind of da, 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 thing going on. So, Henrik, I 100% agree with you yeah. on that. I feel like Adrian uh, is, he's the, the hidden weapon. Yeah. The embellishment. Mm-hmm. Mm. Mm. Uh, yeah, short and sweet. Mm. Yeah, it's not. It's not a hidden. Well, it's not really a hidden secret. The best Iron Maiden stuff was done with Adrian Smith, and the worst Iron Maiden stuff was done without, without Adrian without Smith. Without him. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. And this third verse that is a bit different is cool too. Hmm. Super high hat. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If you really want to get geeky on this shit, you just talk about uh, Clive's work on the hats on this song. I mean, mm-hmm. He's just yep. fucking, he's owning them hats. Like it's like he, like, like he, like he's selling hats. Mm-hmm. Like, a, like a hat shop. Yeah. <laughs> he's selling, he, he owns them hats like he's selling Shepos. <laughs> Punking art. Oh, part. Love it too. Yes. And they're not even hitting it too hard. You know, he's still keeping some dynamics. Yeah, yeah. he's got then, dynamics there, you know. I would have loved to have heard Clive beyond the first uh, three records. Yeah. Uh, Dave's contribution here fits perfectly. Yeah, he's ma- I can make sure him just making his blowjob guitar face, you know. Yep, yep. Sucking the straw. Ooh. <laughs> and Adrian, of course, here. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Yep, he's creamy. got me. Oh, dude, I was just about to say creamy. creamy melted butter on top of hot toast. Hell yeah. yeah. Killer that's, that's, mm. uh, that's Adrian Smith's guitar tone. Melted butter on top of hot toast. 
There you go. Mm. Yeah. Perfect. And then yeah. they just kind of ride out on this punk part. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah, so much better than the woo! The ooh! Oh, the ooh? See, way, way cooler than the woo. I feel, I feel, I feel, sorry, I feel Paul could pull off a movie. Yeah, I mean, tried. he can pull off any of those percussive things. He's great at those. Mm. <clears throat> also, it, I think, I think a woo is not necessarily, never mind, this is not this <laughs> <laughs> I love, I love how Eric, I love how Eric has the, uh, the stop on his brain between his brain and his mouth that I don't have. Like he, yeah. <laughs> no, because what, what would have erupted there would have resulted in 15 minutes or something. It's not particularly... It's not, I'm not contributing anything to the I saw how Eric has a low-key way of insulting the things I say, too, by following up with things like that. <laughs> Sorry. No, just for like me, the I'm one time when he said me and Jonathan were the reason the, the show sucked, and then he was like, well, I mean, I was fine, but you two guys. I, I realized it came off that way. When I listened to it afterwards, I'm like, that makes it what better. a fucking jerk I am. <laughs> but that's fine. Uh, but, uh, I mean, even the end. The <laughs> They covered all that ground in under four minutes. I feel like if they were to try Innocent Exile today, it would be the entire side of an album. Mm. Yep. You know, they covered and all that ground in such a compressed period of time. It's and the punky riff. perfect. Yeah. It reminds me of uh, uh, earlier Sabbath when they would kind of, you know, freak out at the end of a song. Yeah, like, uh, that's right. In, uh, mm. uh, what's the song? Uh, needle, the Needle song? Uh, Oh, um, Hand of Doom. Yeah, Hand of Doom. That's yeah, right. Yeah. They, they freak out at the end, but I think here it's done a little bit more professionally, so it doesn't sound like they're jumping yeah. into it, but mm -hmm. it definitely has that end where you can't go any further from that. I mean, it is a variation of the of the verse riff, right? It's the verse, and then but you have... They have raised a bit in tempo, I think. Yeah, the, yeah I think they're actually yeah. more of like, I don't know, doubled it, but it's a, it, it's a different, totally different groove, but it's the same sort of... I would say it's a variation, and I think that's creative th creativeness shining through. Yeah. Creativity is the word. Sorry, <laughs> you could tell that they're a band that's buzzing. You yeah. know, they're they're just everything is just like firing. You know, and and it's just it's all yeah. combustible elements all in the same mm. room, and it's just like <laughs> everything yep. is on high high alert. Yeah, it's unreal, and it's I actually when it was like Innocent X on what. What song's that? And then I put it on. I'm like, oh, it's that. And I hadn't listened to it in probably two years. Yeah. But because I because I listened to this stuff mm -hmm. so much when I was young, I know every fucking corner of it. It's like I hate to be a downer about it, but like I feel like that the the stuff that they accomplished on these records uh were was so ginormous that I feel like that it gives it gives Harris the confidence later on to say we're good with this amount of time what can we do with more available time like I feel like that, that 
that how com- how great they were in compact spaces in this era of the band really gave them the urge to see like, well, what can we do with an extra 10 minutes in this song? You know, like, mm-hmm. and I feel like, like, obviously that didn't really come in until later on, but I, but I just feel like that, man, they were, I don't know. I just feel it. I, I'm probably wrong. I'm probably way off, but it just feels like Harris feels like he has to, like, it's like, well, this is the way I write now. Mm. I, I have, no. like, I feel, I don't know. I don't, and, and granted from, from a, a purely standpoint of moving forward, never looking backwards from an artistic perspective. I can respect that 100%. You know, I think he, he walked past the door at one point and you know, that, that got locked three times and he threw the key away and he can't go back to the way he wrote in 1981. And I think it's unreasonable to expect anyone to do such, mm. you know, just cause yeah. obviously, you know, We've, we've had this discussion before. Don't listen to Judas Priest 5. Yes. Now. Don't listen yeah. To that. yeah. That was brought but, up by our yeah. other guest, Dave, brought that up. Uh, that, yeah. that actually succeeds in going back. Some people can do that and some people cannot. And I don't think Steve Harris is one of those people. However, I wish he had a little bit more of that priest in him, mm. you know, where he could just crank out like an innocent exile once on every, on every fucking record. I mean, it would just be so great. I mean, at, at this point, uh, our little ending tune is playing now. It's, it's kind of fading out, and I'm saying something I usually put in afterwards. Like, uh, okay, a lot of time was spent talking about I Live My Way and Innocent Exile. <laughs> we have another song to talk about, but that's for next episode, guys. Always look on the right side of life. And... Skål from the north. Oh, my God.